everyone. Welcome to the Art Secreta Theatre Podcast. My name is Nabila Syed. I'm the editor of Art Secreta. And as usual, I have with me Matt Lyon. Hello. Uh, Naim Kapadia. Hello. Um, so today we're going to talk about, well, it's actually going to be a pretty short episode because we are only talking about one show. For a change. Um, for a change. And that's Fika and Fishy by Patch and Punnett, which is a kind of a newish millennial theatre company. Uh, let's talk a bit about that. Self-advertised millennial, right? This is not just us being incredibly old, although I believe <laughs> technically you're old millennials. We're yeah, old, not even. We're yeah. old millennials. I am not. <laughs> you're not millennial. At all. Yeah, yeah, so they build themselves as like creating a millennial theatre for millennials, by millennials. I think the whole team, uh, they are all millennials. Yeah. Yeah, so Fika and Fishy, Naim, would you want to tell, yeah, tell us sure. about Yeah, sure. Fika and Fishy is a play about the friendship between a goldfish called Fishy and a dog called Fika. And the goldfish has been around in a house for several years, sort of old and jaded, whereas the dog has just arrived from a shelter, very happy and excitable, and they sort of get off on a pretty bad note, but eventually become friends. Yeah, so it's kind of an odd couple story mm. with what superficially looks like a Pixar kind of vibe. Mm. But underneath that or on top of that or equally superficially, depending on how you look at it, a load of fucking swearing. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so, it, yeah, it really felt to me like a sitcom because I think that was mm. the kind of tone. It's these two very unexpected characters. They would burst out into toilet humour. Um, as Matt said, there was quite a fair bit of swearing. There was a lot of sexual jokes. And, you know, the audience generally enjoyed all of these things. I just wasn't sure that everything came together very well because what the show felt like was a kid's show, but actually for adults. Mm. And I was waiting for that more adult element to mm. come in. And I kept getting the merest hint of it. You know, you have this older, more jaded character stuck in their own world, wanting to break away. So the the fish character talks about, you know, um, wanting to uh, swim freely in a pond, in a pond in uh, things like that. And then we get the sense of this unseen human master who has a couple of questionable habits. Mm. And I would have liked to just get a little bit more of that story and just understand what these people were really trying to get at, mm. I never got that. Yeah, because essentially the, the storyline is very, very simple, right? So that's kind of like where the children's story comes into play, where it's just like the fish wants freedom and then the dog has freedom, but the dog doesn't know what to do with it and they'll help each other find their perfect ending. Yeah. But then the adult side of it is like Naim was talking about the human that you don't see, but there's a suggestion that there's some sort of like he is kicking Fika. Yeah, there's um, definitely abuse in there. There's some kind of abuse and it feels like there's almost like gaslighting happening because after he abuses her, he takes her out on a walk so they're alluding to some kind of like abuse and I felt that it was almost like, it made me think about like a sexual abuse survivor having to deal with their perpetrator but then like they never quite revisit that story ever right yeah, uh, towards I mean, the end it made me think of that as well but only in the sense that my brain is doing a jigsaw trying to put pieces yeah, together right. it didn't make me feel it exactly and now that you mention it though I think if they had actually gone down that route it would have been such an effective play because what better way to deal with something so difficult mm. than through a cartoon-like story, you know, with a character involving animals. Yeah. 
And the staging might have helped it as well. So basically, this whole play was um, staged in 11 Chander Road, which is a mm. venue that's like a shop house, a second floor of a shop house in Little India, almost like a in a loft kind of space. Yeah. And um, Fishy was set in a back room, right? So we saw her through kind of like a window, yep. um, a window without a glass, essentially. And Charmaine Go, who plays Fishy, she was kind of like in that room, whereas Fika, who's played by Ong Yishuan, she was like in front, like basically in front of the, of the audience. And I felt that that back room could have been explored a lot more because it could be like a, a metaphor for like the unseen human or like some kind of darker kind of secrets going on. But I mean, the staging made it very interesting to me because then mm. a lot of like things that you wouldn't usually see, you saw. So for example, mm. the set changes, right? Yeah. Um, they had no wings. They had little control over the lighting. And those are, of course, not bad things. Mm. That means that you need to creatively solve those problems and find ways that you're going to do their scene, your scene changes. It also creates a very different vibe, which I know that we're aiming for, and I think came across quite successfully, of just being in the room. Mm. It kind of felt like a chill-out party. There's a bar behind you on the right. I think you had a gin. Yeah. Name. <laughs> So, so I think this was, you know, exactly. And and that's why the whole vibe was this very, I felt it was a community centre sketch show mm. kind of vibe. Mm. And there's nothing wrong with that because you can have a very good story. But it just felt a little bit sloppy to me, especially mm. when you have these two scene changes at least where they do a transition from the house to, I think, an outdoor scene. Mm. And you have these stagehands coming in and taking off plants and yeah. putting up signposts and a post box and things like so, that. Yeah, a lot it's of the things in the set were, um, they were like paper cutouts mm. just, I guess, blue tacked onto the wall or something. And the only scene change, which I think happens twice, is when they need to go from the master's garden to the park. Mm. And they moved a lot more things than were necessary mm. to do that. They kept taking off these little decorative elements, like there were three bricks stuck on the wall. You don't need to take those yeah. off. It's mm. just kind of wasting time. Yeah. I don't really mind that for a young company because that's uh, you look at your videos and you go, oh, yeah, actually, we didn't really need to do yeah. that. Yeah. And often young companies who make that mistake have a vibrancy and they have something to say. My biggest issue with this was I don't know what they had to say. I know that, like, because I talked to them in a kind of a yeah. different podcast before this, right? And they wanted to talk about basically coming out of your comfort zone, um, which essentially is quite a simple idea. But then they tried to put in, like, all these other things, right? Like, mm. for example, the abuse and things like that, which never went anywhere. So I think, I, I don't know, I feel like they were trying to go for, like, something that, you know, South Park, they mentioned, like, Bojack Horseman, mm. cartoons, but with very, very dark elements, right? But those darker elements, because they never came true, I feel like it was essentially neither a children's show nor really an adult theatre show. And I would have been fine with it going in either direction and more to the point, both mm. directions. Like we've been saying it wasn't dark enough and I agree, I wanted it to go into kind of heavy existentialist absurdism, yeah. but leavened by the comic side. Mm. But equally, it wasn't enough of a children's show. Yeah. It didn't have that sense of wonder. It only had sporadic elements of physical creativity. Mm. Yeah. So I wanted it to go both ways at once, but it was very much in the comfort zone of we've smashed these two things together and we've just picked up the first thing that we found on the floor after mm. their collision and we're fine with that. Mm. Yeah, exactly. But I think that being said, it's probably worth mentioning that there were a couple of elements in this show that I thought was quite nice to watch. So one mm. was the element of puppetry. Mm. So there are two scenes where 
the dog and the fish leave the house because the dog is going to bring the, the fish to an outside pond. And you have these two stagehands coming and we see the fish suddenly in a small little bag held by the dog. And it was quite nicely yeah, done. Cute. I actually thought that yeah. little transition was quite entertaining and that was something I did enjoy watching. Mm. The other thing was that there were live music as well and not only music but also effects by a trio and I've got their names. Mm. So it's Bennett Bay who did the sound effects as well as the guitar and longhorn, Samuel Chun mm. who did the violin and Winston Coe who did the keyboard. And I kind of enjoyed the live music. It's yeah. not something I expected at all mm. for a play like this. So the fact that they actually had three musicians, they had a bit of puppetry, there mm. were things going on which added to the overall sense of the of the show and yeah. gave it a nice uh, a couple of nice dimensions but i think the key issue was what were they trying to say what was the issue at heart i just yeah. couldn't yeah get it was to um, it. it felt like you've just had your brainstorming session oh we want to do a play about this mm. and then you haven't empathically imagined it or you haven't done your research or i think if an alien landed, never met human beings before, they could construct this play after watching the works of Pixar and South Park. I don't think they'd have to meet an actual human being because the experience of abuse in there just wasn't explored right. at all. It wasn't yeah. explored. Yeah. I think basically, like, the way in which they treated the human-to-animal relationship, I think they squandered an opportunity there. Mm. Um, I feel yeah. like the friendship between Fika and Fishy was actually quite lovable and yeah. I, I felt like the actors really did quite a lot to make that friendship really realistic. Yes. And I don't know about you guys, but towards the end, which, you know, it ends with a death of Fishy. Oops, can I say that? Got spoiler warnings. <laughs> okay, spoiler alert. Um, I actually got like, you know, in millennial speak, I got the feels, you know, maybe a tear or two, which I felt was credit to the actors who did a lot with essentially characters that were sketch characters. I completely agree. And we should actually mention, so Charmaine did fishy and yeah. I really enjoyed her performance. Mm. She, as, as was mentioned, she's in a back room all we see throughout this entire one-hour show is her head. Mm. And just with her face, she managed to convey all that humour, that angst, um, you know, a couple of wry... Meta kind of references. Uh, references. Um, there was a particularly funny moment, which we all talked about, where she raises both her non-existent <laughs> hands and gives the middle finger to Fika. So mm. there were a couple mm. of moments which she did really, really well. So she did a great performance. Um, I was maybe slightly less convinced by the performance of Ong Yishuan as Fika. It got a bit grating for me just because that kind of character with that level of energy, I just don't think it can really withstand a play of this length. Yeah, in your standard play, that would be the kind of third wheel support character who comes on for yeah. some light relief and then leaves before they get grating. I think she worked really hard to like yeah. add nuance to like everything that, you know, essentially didn't need nuance. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah, an excited dog, you know, how much... How I think that that's why for me, like that? the first thing that came to mind is it just felt very over-laboured. Right. Like the entire performance, like, you know, let me mm. try to make this as non-human as possible in terms of all my mannerisms and everything. And I think sometimes you could have just gone the other way and just made it very dry mm. and it could have actually been funny. Mm. 
which is what Fishy did, and I really, really enjoyed that and, that brand of humor. And I think Matt, you were talking about um, Charmaine's kind of like physical. Oh yeah, she's only got her head and the left to right up and down motion of her upper body without her shoulders or arms or anything like that. Mm. But there's one point where she pretends to be dead, and you know how goldfish just slowly rise to the top and turn over. Despite the fact that one's head cannot turn over 180 degrees, she just managed to move upwards and tilt her head enough so that you immediately knew that was happening. It was very skillful. It was skillful physical work, despite having a very limited mm-hmm. physical palate. So can I address a, an elephant in the room, which is, do you think that as so-called non-millennials, technically, like millennials of the patch and punnet age, let's put it that mm. way, do you think we are not getting something that their audiences might get? Maybe, but I don't know. I'm a teacher for 16 to 18-year-olds and I see a lot of uh, work that my students do after they graduate. So I'm I'm always around young people of this generation, if Mm. not exactly this age. A lot of the work my students do is more meaningful and funnier. Mm. Not always at the same time, but I feel like this show definitely needed to choose. If they just want to be funny, okay, it needs to be funnier. The audience was politely laughing, but there were only a couple of belly laughs. This felt like a series of bullet points about what we would like to do, just put together Mm. in a show. And they'd written particular scenes, I imagine, but not really thought about it as a whole Mm. and what they were trying to achieve. So there were a lot of nuggets buried here and there. And that's why, for me, the overwhelming feel was this was a sketch show. Yeah, it does feel like a YouTube series of like short sketches. Yeah. because it was essentially quite funny, you know what I mean? Like, the premise of it can work. As it's short. best bits condensed, yeah. yeah. But then, as you say, you've got a question, is theatre the best medium for this? Mm. Like, if I told you, watch this cool web cartoon, there's some memes in it. Yeah, great. Yeah, because I was thinking about, like, SNL. Like, you know, some SNL sketches, mm. like, don't work. And this kind of, like, feels a little bit like that. Like, you have a really interesting idea. It needs more workshopping, maybe. And essentially, like, finding the real story of Fika and Fishy. Yeah. So that just brings us all the way back to the first thing we mentioned with about millennial theatre mm. because I, I don't like that term as well I feel because I think uh, and we must point out we did not come up with this yeah, they sell themselves not, that way not. right they sold themselves as a yeah. millennial theatre company but you know the way I see it I don't see why someone who's 22 would not enjoy just good theatre mm. As opposed mm. to someone who's in their 40s or 50s, I don't see why there should be a specific genre or subgenre of theatre that is more targeted to that age group. Because to be honest, I mean, I did a lot of theatre when I was in school, when I was um, in JC and when I was in university. And even the kind of place that we tried to write, we had a clear idea. We had a couple of strong issues which we wanted to talk about, be mm. it politics or race or or whatever else, basically. And obviously, you know, we would like using comedy. I think a lot of young people do enjoy comedy and I have Mm. no issue with that. But, you know, you can't just stir everything into a porridge and just call that theatre. I think there needs to be Mm. some level of craft as well. I'm wondering if, like, they are trying to... Because some of some of the people who are involved in this show have trained as, you know, actors or, or have oh, gone yes. to... Oh, uh, yes. Krish is my former student. He was in Sota. Right. So yeah, I, he was I, very, very good in the show I did with him. Just hmm. amazing. Um, and Krish is the director and he um, also wrote it. Wrote, yeah, co-writer. Wrote Fishy. Yeah. Um, and, and I feel like they are trying to 
explore just the idea of like meme humor and all. We don't really see it a lot in theater, right? I mean, we yep. don't see it in the established companies for sure. Of course. So yeah, they're yeah. trying to discover this kind of like new brand of theater, and you can see like in terms of how it was staged with all the gin and all these things. Like they're trying to attract a certain different crowd, which maybe don't watch theater. So I can kind of see what they're trying to go for, but essentially for me, like my issue with it, it's kind of like halfway, neither here nor there. So I think yeah. that's where it hits the mark um, personally for me. Well, also you say new, but what if I say to you, Avenue Q? Mm. What does this do that that doesn't? I mean, it doesn't have meme humour. Avenue Q? Yeah. The bad ideas bears. Oh, yeah, yeah, It's yeah. got loads of that <laughs> kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, I don't see any formal distinction between what this company is doing and what they did, except that Avenue Q is much, much, much better. I mean, that's not a very fair comparison, I no, suppose. of course. But, of you course know. it isn't. Yeah, yeah. But also in its kind of ambition and how it wants to play with the form. Mm. As I said, things like the long set changes or the all the stuff that is craft-based, I'm yeah. really happy to forgive that, but yeah. I want to see the ambition. And that ambition needn't be... We're relying on millennials to save the world. Mm. And I'm not saying they have to do the piece of theatre that's going to save the world. But even if it's just entertainment, I want some ambition. And I think it's also just because we have seen some, I wouldn't say amazing, but definitely promising works by similar younger theatre companies. I mean, just something which we watched very recently um, and spoke about in a previous podcast was The Hawker by the mm. Second Breakfast Company. Mm. Something which I watched two years ago was um, Journeys, mm. part of the platform series by Generasia. Um, I've seen a lot of the early Skindney's productions. There have been a lot of these younger theatre companies that have tried to do theatre that I would say really holds up quite well against some of the more established players. And at the moment, just purely based on this show, I'm not very sure what to make of this company. And I don't think we want to be discouraging because obviously what we want Mm. is to see a thriving and flourishing scene that involves an entire spectrum of arts makers. But I think they just need to really find their voice and really know what they want. Yeah. I would want to watch what they do next in a sense because like I feel like this is a company that has a lot of ideas and they need to kind of just refine it. You know, previously they did The Adventures of Abhijit which was staged at M1 Fringe. Mm. So you know that they want to say something, you know, but I suppose like think about what exactly it is. I feel like they need to commit to one or the other. Like do they want to go like full millennial or do they want to go like really, I don't know, social angst or social issue, commentary, which this production hinted that and so when you hint at something you give people expectations that yeah, oh yeah. it might go mm. there um, so do they want to do that or if they want to do something halfway or kind of like middle then they have to work a bit harder to do it I suppose yeah if you don't have anything to say you're relying on craft that's hard for young companies mm. I'd rather they have something to say personally I'm sure they have something to say they need to figure out what exactly it is yeah that, that's what exactly what was frustrating mm. because underneath there there must be something more important than this surface that got skimmed off for the play. Right. Well, you know what? I would say that it was a fun show. Yeah. It yeah. was. It was. Mm. I did enjoy it and I did like the moments of comedy that, that came up. Um, there were some very nice little comic moments. There was a scene where they were trying to play hide and seek and you had the oh, goldfish yeah. trying to to hide behind a, a little wooden Two beam. Two inch thick wooden beam in the <laughs> yeah. middle of the double window. You know, there were things like that. Um, and there were obviously some slightly cruder sexual jokes, which admittedly when they did get a giggle or two. So, you know, there was humour. I'm not going to deny that. Um, Funny moments in a condensed skit would have been yeah. hilarious. Yeah. 
And I think the fact that they found an alternative venue to stage a show mm. is actually pretty cool as well. You know, these younger companies, they might not be able to afford rent. So I really applaud that kind of like... Yeah, that was excellent. ...resourcefulness. Just making it into a really yeah. casual, like a group of friends hanging out in an attic And almost. for what yes. they were doing, the space worked. They they worked the space fine. Yes, I thought they did quite well with the space. And also during a time of like this COVID-19, they were yeah. like measuring temperatures and all. Like I really feel that there's, you know, they're working hard to really make this thing happen, yeah. you know? So I think that's something to, to applaud them for. So, yeah. Thanks, Patch and Punnett. Thank you, yes. Look forward to what you come up with next. Yes, we do actually. We really do. Um, So we'll see you next month where we're going to look at another show. Wait, a few shows? Well, we'll figure it out and come back again next month. Thank you so much. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye.